Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, Dan Atkins, founder of Buses for Homeless, is here to tell us about how running party buses led to a potential solution to homelessness. We've got a bus for eating, sleeping, learning and well-being. After that, Johanna Byrain, Head of Business Development at Twickenham Stadium, and Alistair Turner, Managing Director at 8PR and Marketing, joined me to discuss all things esports. I think we'd be hugely naive to be looking at this as just a, a marketplace that's about kids in rooms. Yeah, 200 million people a day are playing esports around the world. But first, the impact of the coronavirus epidemic on the events industry, saving creative music venues, and does the events industry still have a problem managing well-being? All that and more as Hannah Zimbaro, Tom Hall and Edward Poland sit down for the News Digest. Evening, everyone. Evening. Evening. How are you doing? Yeah, doing good. Fantastic. We've got Tom Hall, editor of Access All Areas. Correct, yeah. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. How are you, Tom? <laughs> yeah, not bad, not bad. It's a mad kind of year of the event production show, mag going to press, event production awards, our 30 under 30 sort of thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Flying start. Yeah, yeah. Access All Areas, and you in particular, Tom, are real advocates of the creative sector in the UK. And we've had some good news uh, for creative, particularly music venues recently. So I want to talk about that at some point today. And Hannah Samboro. Yeah. Events marketing manager at Newable. How you doing, Hannah? Welcome. Good, thank you. I'm How excited are you? to be here. No, doing good. Same, busy. Good. <laughs> January felt like a whole year away. So yeah. Yeah. tell us what's going on with Newable's events program in 2020. Oh, a lot. So kind of at Newable, we run between 150 to 200 events every year. And they're very, very broad. They're like trade missions, they can be conferences, they can be workshops, they can be exhibitions. Um, in the UK and overseas Um, and like we've got 10 different clients at the moment like Greater London Authority, Department of International Trade, a bunch of them so there's a lot going on. (laughs) Newable is a really interesting business isn't it? Tell us quickly what what Newable does. Yeah so essentially we work with SMEs across the UK. Um, There's three main things we do so we provide them finance so we do loans, we have the UK's most active investor network, and then we acquired CityBase. So we have about 40 offices around the UK, and then we offer also offer them advice. So um, we have about 100 business advisors, and then we do events. So we kind of like take on, we're not an agency per se, but we work with a lot of different clients to help deliver that advice. Brilliant. And and any other any other big things you're noticing in, in, in terms of the, the, the priorities for your events and what you're focusing on in, in 2020? Well, yeah, one of the things that's kind of started to come through, like to be fair, it's probably over the last year, is like this push to have diversity in events. Um, so, yeah, I'm an event marketing manager, but I've always kind of been an event producer throughout my career. And it's always been, you know, gender balance, you know, yeah. your male and your female speakers, looking at imagery, male and female. Yeah. And now it's getting to a point, the same with diversity. So um, different ethnicities, that kind of thing. Um, but it's interesting, I think it's at a point where it's starting to be on people's awareness, but it's not at the point where someone's not going to go to something or going to call you out like as seriously or as they would on gender. Yeah. But I think that's where it's going. So even in some of our contracts, um, we have to hit certain targets in terms of diversity, whereas they weren't there before. So like definitely for me, because I work in marketing, like we're, we're looking at everything, all the content we put out to make sure it is diverse so oh, amazing yeah. and where's the impetus from that coming from who's who, who, who's 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 telling you now that that, that that you really have to be thinking about this it kind of to be fair it kind of differs like contract to contract a little mm. bit um because well like recently oh it was last year actually so we did a diverse entrepreneur summit um with mayor of london at city hall um, so, like, their agenda is constantly, like, it's always been diversity and we're just seeing other people adopt it. I don't know if it's an internal change, but I think a lot of people have it on their agenda. So it's getting pulled through through marketing because it kind of represents them. The events we run represent them. So I, I guess that's where it's coming from, really. Well, that's yeah. a fantastic thing, right? Yeah, fantastic. That's no, good. Well, great news. And we've got more good news want to start with something there's less good news it's coronavirus there have been articles in the events press recently talking about coronavirus and how we think it might affect the meetings and events industry either of you seen any any evidence of this one way or the other so far i think so far in the uk there's very few cases but um it looks like that's only going to increase and go up it seems pretty transmittable from what i'm reading and it kind of mm. goes through the eyes so if it kind of pops off i do predict that um yes if imagine that at a festival any big gathering just has to be completely abandoned and everyone isolated so uh, i don't want to fear monger because i have no idea <laughs> but uh 
yeah, the potential there is pretty pretty big. I mean, MNIT magazine seems to be fear-monging. They say the coronavirus outbreak has serious implications for the meeting and events industry. Have you seen that, Hannah? Uh, yeah, I think like even as, I guess, the destination, because obviously we're... Um, like we've got an event in India, yeah. Like in a few weeks, that's obviously Asia. We're still going ahead with it, but we've had people on a network had to like cancel events as well. Where were the cancelled events? Hmm? Where were the cancelled events? China. In China, okay. <laughs> China. Mm. Uh, I think in a week's time, because there's obviously travel bans and stuff happening. Um, but it is interesting as well because we're obviously planning more events. China's a very, very big like destination because we do a lot of exporting events for SMEs. Like yeah. it's it's if we promote it, it sells out. So I'm very interested to see how this will spread, where it will go, but it is a factor. And even like for them attracting conferences over the next few years with people starting to book now, it's it will have a longer term impact, even if it ends right now. So there is certain guidance they need to give participants because there was that conversation of what do we do here? Because mm. I don't even know in the next week before it happens, like what other updates are they going to be? But everything's booked, everything's ready to go. So I think they're on high alert. They have to brief participants. Like we're just kind of watching what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It might have big insurance implications, I guess. There was, you know, already there was Boardmasters Festival and uh, cancelled last year because of, um, you know, the weather. So you've got that to insure against. And then if this comes off again, hopefully, well, mm. sadly, we'll probably see fewer events as a result. Hopefully this will be the last time we're, we're, we're talking <laughs> about coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coronavirus. Um, on some good news. So I want to talk about creative uh, venues, particularly music venues. So, Tom, as I said, I mean, you personally and, and certainly Access, Access All Areas, real champions of, mm. uh, of creative venues, creative spaces the creative industries generally we had the news uh, only a couple of days ago now that the the hundred club uh, which is a world famous club really isn't it in in soho yeah. um i played host to the rolling stones and sex pistols mm-hmm. and you know any number of other world famous acts they have been granted special status recently uh, by westminster council um designed essentially to protect grassroots venues mm. tom you've covered this haven't you yeah that's right it's such a multi kind of faceted issue really and uh, it covers everything from um, you know retail to um, the music industry itself uh, and and our national kind of patriotism over acts and what have you, uh, which we've got, we've got a rich history of. But it's, um, you know, interesting in that it's Soho, this venue, uh, Soho, which is being taken over by kind of, um, you know, coffee shops and, and retails dying in the meantime. And uh, we're looking for ways to kind of revitalize the high street and the night and the nighttime economy. Um and if out of this big business cut, which the business cut has been about 50% for small and medium sized venues. Uh, and if that goes on to produce acts, uh, you know, like uh, David Bowie or Ed Sheeran, as I say, then that's that's a massive thing for UKL PLC. And it's not something that's in the bottom, you know, in the bottom line when you're renting out properties. It's very, you know, binary. So this is, is about the government taking a bigger picture at the uh, impact of of uh, what what these venues mean above and beyond, you know, just being money churners. It's got to be so important for meeting and events, hasn't it? I mean, having started Higher Space in in London, I feel that there could have been no better city in the world, really, to have started something like Higher Space, which is all about spaces and access to cool places where you can do interesting things. And London just feels like better than anywhere in the world for diversity of venues and and history and culture and all these things. So got to be a, a fantastic thing for the events world, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, well, um, between 1999 and uh, 2016, the money that was coming in from, um, you know, people physically buying music dropped from about 20 billion worldwide to 6 billion. But that was counteracted, as you say, by events and by live music, which literally almost completely in parallel went down, went up from, you know, 6 billion to 30 billion last year. Mm. So it's now making revenue above and beyond what we ever got from physical sales. And at the same time, um, you know, Spotify and, 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 and Apple Music is starting to generate money as well. But taking care of the grassroots venues is, is an important factor in all this because at the same time as we're, we're, we're seeing live music really flourishing, uh, there's a, a lack of acts coming through. So, you know, just kind of a, a anecdotally, in, in before about 2005, you'd have, you know, um, Adele and The Strokes, uh, uh, The White Stripes. There's lots of acts kind of, becoming headliners but since there's been fewer there's kind of been Stormzy who's great Ed Sheeran you know but you can name them on your hand yeah 
how many there's been. And so this is this is part of it kind of ties into what we we're saying earlier. It's an attempt to revitalize music and keep live events prospering. Yeah, so, so, so under the plans, music venues in Westminster that meet the following criteria can benefit from up to 100% business rates relief. So the prime purpose is as a grassroots music venue. Hmm. Property has to be on the, in the Greater London Authority's Register of Grassroots Music Venues. The organisation occupying the property and libel for business rates must not be for profit. And the scheme must primarily aim to support grassroots music venues in the Soho area, although any grassroots music venue in the borough could be assisted if they meet the relevant criteria. So it seems like Soho is leading the way on this. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and because uh, I guess the macro picture as well is that there's app, there's the kind of UK film industries in, um, in Soho, so many creative industries are there. And if it loses that buzz, that, you know, that night out, what, what Soho has always stood for, then it, there's tri- billions and billions of pounds resting on this. So, so yeah, it's very important. Yeah, I mean, in terms of you know, business travel and, and business tourism into London, really important as well. Mm. Hannah, you, I mean, you, 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 I mean, you're a corporate event planner, you book a lot of kind of corporate style venues. Mm. Um, did, did you book many more more creative arts venues? Um, I think, like, surprisingly, there is a bigger push to do it. Like, first of all, I do have to say, because I'm Australian, I absolutely do have the perspective of London of being the place where you go to see underground gigs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I expected it when I moved here. So <laughs> I do think it's really important. Like, in terms of spaces, like, it's still... So I mostly do corporate events, but it's interesting because you do have to push a bit harder to get something to you, about your event to stand out. I yeah. guess with people are posting stuff, you want it to be shareable, you want them to see it and like be excited. And I guess sometimes you can only see a corporate space so much before it becomes dull. So it doesn't always work for every single event. Sometimes they do need to be more formal, but anything to kind of differentiate yourself with a venue is great. So I feel like, at least in Australia, there was a time where... Mm, do, do we really want it in a warehouse? Is it going to feel right? But now it's just like anything to make your event different. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, that's an interesting one. It's because, you know, business people are consumers too. And whatever you want to go out to on a night out or to visit as, as a bar is the kind of atmosphere you want in your work now increasingly. And you mentioned warehouse spaces. There's been a, just, they're popping off everywhere. There's been warehouse project up in Manchester, uh, print works in East London. Yeah. Um, a lot of Broderick Live has uh, championed a lot of that as well. So, I mean, high, high business rates are still frequently cited as one of the reasons it's increasingly hard to operate grassroots music venues in, in the UK. So this sounds like a good step. Mm. I wonder about the broader implications of that. If, if they're saying that cutting these rates is going to increase business, then as we perhaps lose out from, you know all the benefits we were getting from immigration from the EU and what have you, and we start to maybe see prices rise um, ostensibly after leaving Europe, then we're going to have to look at our internal policy uh, and how we handle taxation. And I think that will be something that's applied more widely, uh, you know, uh, rate cuts in order to influence businesses to spend their, their, their money themselves instead of relying on government to do what, you know, they will with it. And people are even saying we'll become a kind of, or worried, depending how you look at it, it will become a sort of Singapore yeah. on Thames or whatever, but we'll see. But do you think the government's doing enough? Are they, are they behind it? Are they, are they thinking about it as they, as, as they should? I know you've had some contact with, with, go, with the government and government bodies. Yeah, I mean, that business rate one, you've got to give it credit where it's due, really. That's, that seems like a nice move, and, and everyone's got to be happy about more, more gigs and, 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 and venues staying open. I mean, I think it's a difficult time, right, literally right now, to discuss the, the, the Brexit policies because there's going to be a cabinet reshuffle, I think today, I can't remember, in the next few days. Yeah. Um, but so so what I might ask uh, an MP or a minister now could change in a few days. But yeah, you're absolutely right. As, as I'm talking to the associations like uh, UK Music about, um, you know, the kind of minutiae of this. It's There's the DCMS, the Department of Culture and Ministry, uh, Media and Sport, mm. um, did a report last year which outlined a lot of recommendations on what uh, the government can do practically to, to boost the music industry. Mm. And among those was indeed the venues uh, business cut rate, which is great because that's happened just in the last week. And uh, elsewhere in there, there was all sorts of things like, um, you know, improving the music curriculum in schools, uh, encouraging more diversity, ur- urban artists, um, it's some drill artists seemed a bit um you know demonized by the media and what have you there's all sorts of really interesting recommendations which 
I'm going to follow up and see if see what's actually going to practically be done about them. But well, I would advise our listeners to to follow Access Access All Areas for to to, to follow their story because you guys have always got brilliant coverage on it. Ah, oh, thank you. Cool. So to cap us off, M and Magazine have forum recently. They say the industry has a massive culture problem with well-being. Still, Tom, you're kind of nodding. Do we? As I said, don't want to. Too too much about this because it's a massive, incredibly important issue that we could talk for talk for hours on. But do you do you agree with that statement from what you you guys have seen? I certainly think it's good that it's coming under under the radar and uh, people are talking about four day weeks and flexible hours and what have you, which can only be positive. I so, completely agree. <laughs> completely agree that there's a there's a there's a big issue. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's hard because I've worked in the entrepreneurial space and the co- like corporate space, but it is still. I do feel like there's certain traits that attract people that. I guess we'll go all out to deliver an event. I'm quite like I'm like a junkie of like the high after an event, yeah. and you just keep chasing it. So I think even if the culture's bad, I think it's like you work so hard, work so hard, work so hard for months to get to one day, and you deliver it. And you're like, we did it. It's great, and you constantly chase the high. Mm. So I think it, it is the culture, but it's also like just the nature of events, like. You just like if something's in your way, you're just like, don't compromise my result. (laughs) So you just want to get there. Because I just kind of thought in the entrepreneurial world, like entrepreneurial burnout culture is insane. Like your business is your baby. You you have to make it work. You have to make the sales, whatever. And in the corporate environment, it obviously... um, it's not necessarily a nine to five, but it still is like the the events people and the team will do whatever it takes. So it's hard to say, like, I think if you work in the industry because everyone's used to it, it's just part of the culture. Um, but at the same time, I also think individuals like who have those traits, just you do whatever you need to do. And sometimes that means insane hours constantly. Um, mm. But I do think the whole like work hard, party hard thing is completely true for people in the industry. Yeah, like, no, completely. The, <laughs> yeah, the industry does sort of require late hours and, and some crazy, you know, crazy working practices and what have you. But not all the time. I mean, hopefully there's a degree of flexibility. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier who uh, lives in Dubai and he's working as just literally till midnight most nights. And it's, it's going to burn him out. And now he's coming home and hey, great. If they didn't treat him well in the long run you know yeah like I've had burnout before and it was very very different to what I thought it was it was essentially like we had a period of maybe six months where like if if my eyes were open I was working and I got so bad where a few months like I'm sleeping like a few hours a night I'm like how's my body doing this (laughs) like so I'm like full robot and we're at the end of like this really long event period it's like seven weeks we had like three like flagship events we had 25 events in between um, everything was leaning on me. And literally at the end of the day, I passed out at the end of the event. <laughs> I was in bed for two weeks. And then like for a whole year after that, my body was not the same. Because yeah. my, my adrenaline was just constantly on. I'd never do it again. Wow. Like I learned so much from it. Like, yeah. I completely changed the way I operate. I say no to things. I question everything. But like, damn. Yeah. That was, it's not worth it. Black. I, I used to fly a hell of a lot, you know, 15, 16 times a year to different uh, countries around the world. And no one felt sorry for me, nor should mm. they. But um, yeah, that really takes its toll as well. Mm. Uh, I was kind of waking up wondering what, what, where it was, what hour it was, you know. Uh, so yeah, you do need to think of yeah. number one sometimes. Yeah. And I think like it takes time, like, because I've never been that type of person. I've been like, I'll say yes to everything as long as yeah. I'm enjoying it. I've never really, because I've never really seen the effects on my body. No, completely. But uh, when you do, you're like... I said yes yeah. to a trip to Borneo, which was for one night. And I think I flew there 16 hours or so there. And I think it was more like 27 back because I had a massive, you know, stopover. And uh, it's literally for one night. And I was thinking, blimey, I can't say no sometimes. Was it worth yeah. it? <laughs> uh, do you know what? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I've run it, ran, even ran in a marathon out there for some reason. It's a bizarre event, but good fun. So well, it's a, a tough, great trip. Yeah, yeah, a tough industry we all work in. And the, the pressure is high and we all work incredibly hard. So great mm. that this is being discussed. Uh, and no doubt something that we will come back to again on the Event Lab podcast and at Event Lab events. So thank you for sharing your experiences on, on that, guys, and on everything else. We are out of time. It's been fantastic having you here. Cool. I thank hope you will both come back. Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Not literally anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Ed. Special thanks to Hannah and Tom for stepping in while our regular news digesters are unavailable. Next up, my interview with Dan Atkins, founder of Buses for Homeless. 
But first, a quick message from one of our sponsors. Today's episode of the Event Lab podcast is brought to you by Yahire. If you're looking to hire quality furniture or catering equipment for your next event, the experienced team at Yahire can help. Yahire provides a wide range of product styles available to hire for all types of events. Find out more at yahire.com. And don't forget to check our new range of bespoke made in London furniture. Yahire, award-winning furniture hire. Dan, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. Pleasure being here. So can you can you just sort of tell us about how organising bus parties has become this sort of solution to the homeless problem? Yeah, look, Joe, so I, I've been um, doing party and event buses for a very long time. Um, that was, uh, you know, huge and still uh, run those part-time as well. Yeah. Um, got a team, amazing team of people running that for us. But, um, you know, one day I walked into our yard and there was a friend of mine who was 68 at the time, sleeping mm. rough where you put your luggage under a coach. Yeah, okay. Now that literally broke my heart. So that day, him and I went out. Uh, we brought him a bus, um, kitted it out. Oh, so was that easy to do? <laughs> if you know the right people, then yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're, if you're in, the, in the bus industry. Yeah, <laughs> look, I am a bus wanker officially now. <laughs> Um, but, you know, buses are really interesting kind of things, you know, um, if, if, if you know the right people, then it's easy to find. Um, for me, it was a really logical step for him. He had three dogs. He was 68 at the time. He couldn't get social housing. So I thought, um, fuck it, let's go and buy your bus, old boy. <laughs> Kitted out and him and his dogs lived in that for two years. And did you guys do most of that work yourselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and look, the first iteration of anything is probably the roughest. Um, but him and I, uh, you know, we ripped out all the seats, chucked a couple of beds in, um, put a toilet in there for him, uh, got the community to actually start donating things mm. and, as, and stuff as well. And it was just awesome. And, and could you imagine your mate who's 68 or your grandfather... Yeah sleeping rough where you put your luggage under a coach, you know, and he had helped me out on the party and event buses um, whenever I needed to. So the logical thing for me to do is obviously say, right, oh boy, I'll help you out and get you sorted. You've obviously come a long way from just sort of helping one friend out with a bus. So can you tell us a bit about where, where you are now? Yeah, so uh, look, um, having having done a lot of research and helping my friend Sim out, um, you know, if it worked for him, then I thought that we could potentially do it for other people. Mm. Now, teaching was my background, um, and I've had a lot of personal tragedy and trauma in my life, so... I've done a lot of personal development. I've done a lot of um, woo-woo stuff, mm-hmm. um, some funky psychedelic stuff, some um, you know, some ceremonies that are just blow your mind. Um, and it's almost buses for homeless is now almost a melting pot um, of my life experience. Mm. Um, and look, I've never been so proud. I've never been so happy, and I've never been so focused on a project in my life. The community has engaged with us incredibly well. The mm. events world have been amazing. Uh, the hospitality, HBAA, HBAA, mm-hmm. uh, Hotel Booking Agents Association. We've had so much buy-in from people and organizations in our industry. It's been phenomenal and just super excited about uh, the next 12 months and, and actually making a fundamental change in people's lives. So so tell us a bit about the, the setup of the buses and mm-hmm. then about like the learning program that you're taking. Them yeah, through. so we've got four buses at the moment, all parked in a square. Mm-hmm. So we've got a bus for eating, sleeping, learning and well-being. Excellent, yeah. Super simple. We're not mm-hmm. the first people to um, build a bus for shelter. But the difference for us is we want to create the fundamental change in these people's lives. Giving them a night's rest and filling them up in the morning and then kicking them out on the street, that isn't going to help. Mm. So we instantly say, right, welcome aboard. Here's your bunk. There's your storage space. You're with us for the next two to three months minimum, Mm -hmm. right? Go and get yourself a shower and cleaned up. Grab some grub on the dining bus And then when you're ready, come and have a chat to one of us and work out where you are right now and where you want to go. Now, it's not rocket science, but it hasn't been done in this country Mm. before. And our goal is to change the way homeless provision is done in this country and then look to expand that model around the world. Okay. And 
Uh, obviously, homelessness is is very complex, and and not everyone is 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 ready for to sort of be moved through this program straight away. How do you select the individuals that you choose to help and offer the offer the spaces to? Great question. And um, the program isn't right for everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody isn't right for the program. Yeah. So that's a one fundamental thing. Now we are sleeping people on a double decker bus. So which can be an issue if you're dealing with a myriad of needs. Mm. So right now we're working on the lower needs end of the spectrum, but the ones that want to make a positive difference and an impact in their lives. One of our guys said to me the other day, he said, Dan, I just want my old life back. Can you believe that this guy is 50 years old? He was walking down the street one day. Three days later, he woke up in a hospital not knowing how or where he was. He'd just lost his sister and had passed out, banged his face. This was June last year. Today, his face is still fractured. He's in severe pain. His jaw's out of place and he's got tinnitus in one ear. And this guy hasn't had the help and the support. You know, these guys have a um, story. And it's just so valuable for organizations, people first off, to actually care and give them that hope and the support that they need to get them back on the right on their feet and heading in the right direction. The accommodations look fantastic as well. Like I know it's it's all pretty tight and you're sort of making the best of the of the four bus system. But I, I've I've stayed in hotels in Japan that you know mm-hmm. like Tokyo, the, 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 yeah, Tokyo yeah. Capsule Hotel, yeah, the, the capsule hotel, guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's the, it did have a similar vibe. And you know, when you first sort of see it, it looks small, but it is you know as as everyone that stays in those hotels will know, it is it yeah. is su- sufficient. Like, yeah, the main thing first off is it's a safe, warm secure nights uh, rest for these guys. Yeah, that's the most important thing. On the streets right now, it is absolutely freezing. You know, you always hear of stories of people getting weed on at the end of the night or worse still, their sleeping bags set on fire. Unbelievable. Could you imagine how difficult it is for these people that they don't know where they're going to bed down? They don't know if it's going to hose down in the middle of the night or if some drunken idiot's going to cause some problems. You know, then how can anybody do anything other than fight for their survival if they're caught up in that cycle, you know? What can companies that want to take a more active um, stance on this and, and try and do something to help, what can, what can they do? Yeah, look, I, I think... Um, Pick up the phone and call uh, us at Buses for Homeless. Visit our website. We want to make a difference. The craziest thing in this country is that people want to help. But if you call a big organization like a shelter or someone else, Mm. then they'll be like, no, you can't do that. You can't do this. Do you have this? Do you have that? Fuck that. We're yes people. Say yes. Make a difference. At least give it a go. Um, if you're a venue, then let's talk. Let's see if we can do stuff together. Uh, if you're an agency, then come on, let's start pitching some CSR days to Mm. your clients. Come along rather than go out on a jolly, come down, spend the day with us, make a contribution that can sponsor one person from the streets through our life transformational um, program, and then touch wood, build a relationship with that person and, and um, through the program in order to touch wood, get um, part or full-time employment in your organization at the end of that. Now, nobody has done that, but how good would that make you and your organization feel transforming somebody's life? And you've got one site at the moment. Mm-hmm. And how's it? Um, how's everything been going? Has it been positive development? Amazing. We couldn't be happier. Um, we're, we've um, been situated on an HS2 site. Mm-hmm. The um, Costa and Skanska joint venture are the delivery partners of um, the, the program. And they couldn't have done more to facilitate us. Everything um, that we need, they just say yes to. But most importantly, they've sent their labor supply chain down to interview the boys and were absolutely blown away by them. And now they've potentially been offered jobs working on site on the back end of them passing a a, a CSCS card exam. It's I'm I'm just blown away because the boys are super chuffed. There's so much excitement around camp and they sat on the learning bus studying for these tests, you know, like that is what makes me tick.
I'm guessing you want to sort of expand to more than one site. What, what have you got planned for the next sort of couple of years? Yeah, of course. Look, in, in the first the first time you do everything is the biggest challenge. Yeah. You know, essentially 12 months ago, I was walking around with some 2D CAD drawings um, and a hope and a prayer. <laughs> you know, some huge organizations have backed us and taken a huge leap of faith. Mm. Stagecoach gave us four buses. Um, literally 12 months ago, tomorrow we picked up the first bus. <laughs> Uh, first buses, um, and they're blown away. They came down yesterday with all of their senior management. And not only have Stagecoach given us the buses, but they're also want to give apprenticeships and driver apprenticeships and a load of different um, job opportunities as well. But, you know, from there, we've got sites up in Birmingham that are talking to us, Bristol, uh, Shadwell, just up the road here, oh, and as far and as wide as Trinidad and Tobago, which is pretty <laughs> Amazing. loose. Yeah, yeah, look, really looking forward to that. And um, the government want to fly me out there. So it's really nice having done the 12 months of hustling ground up to actually start playing with the governments um, and local authorities in order to create that change that we're after. Fantastic. Well, I wish you all the best of luck with it, Dan. It sounds amazing. And Thank you very much. it really sounds like if, if you've helped people this much already, I can't wait to see how much you're going to help everyone else. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dan. Coming up next, Johanna Byrain, Head of Business Development at Twickenham Stadium, and Alistair Turner, Managing Director at 8PR and Marketing, and I sit down to talk eSports. Johanna, Al, thank you so much for coming in to chat to us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So esports today, really interesting topic. Super excited about this one because I mean I don't know uh, if I'm the only one um, in the events industry, but I, I assume that I'm not. That's sort of had one of these events come up and not really mm-hmm. sure how to how to handle it or like like to know more because it's obviously such a huge opportunity. Can you tell me, uh, Johanna? a bit more about what we're talking about when we're talking about esports as a whole encompassing thing. So esports is competitive gaming, basically, Mm. and it's human against human. So it can be anything from an 11-year-old boy playing FIFA in his house against his mate in another house, or it can be professional teams performing in leagues around the world. So there really is a huge scalable market of esports. But it's part of the gaming community, but Mm. it is competitive and again, as you say, it can be one-to-one or teams around the world. So it's vast. It's a vast opportunity. I think um, it's sort of worth just commenting to get to give a few people who aren't as familiar with it uh, an idea of the scale. Like I, I've read recently that mm-hmm. that um, the winners of some of these games um, get paid more than the winner of Wimbledon. Yep. And and I, I remember watching a documentary where someone was. Uh, someone who was involved in the community was speaking about a game that happened five years ago and he could remember exactly what had happened on the screen in wow. that game. Like someone talking about um, like a World Cup of result course. like a few words ago. And it's sort of hard to get your head around it if you're not in the community, mm. but it's but it's so developed now as well. It is. It's the same as any traditional sport. Mm. There's grassroots. So again, anyone, certainly from a venue perspective, don't come into to be thinking it's all these huge tournaments and you're going to smash your budget yeah. within two months and it's a quick win. You have to take every level. So like mm. any sport, um, it, there's grassroots. Uh, so there are the smaller ones where there's no prize money. It's just people practicing and yeah. developing and getting coached and those are events. And there are, without a doubt, the multi-million dollar tournaments taking place around the world. The same way as there's football, Sunday League football with your kids playing yeah. to the World Cup with Lionel Messi earning a fortune. So it's, it follows very same traits um, and it's their sport. So, you know, it's, it, so it does go from grassroots all to professional tournaments. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about XL Esports? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, very early on in our stage working with esports, we were lucky enough to meet um, British esports team. Uh, they play in the League of Legends um, and they were looking for somewhere to, first of all, do a boot camp, which we offered uh, for, uh, they came and spent a week with us, and they were looking for their HQ in the UK. And many professional teams, mm. they very much have gaming houses where the teams live together, they'll play their games, they have a gaming room, etc. Excel were hugely different. They wanted a separate HQ. The teams mm. came, their marketing team, their social support, came to uh, work, left and went home. And we are now delighted that Excel have their HQ at our HQ. <laughs> and they have set up their own uh, scrim rooms, their practice rooms, their support staff are based there. And they compete in one of the best leagues in the world, wow. uh, which is League of Legends. And what that does, that it gives us kudos that we certainly have a great strategic yeah. partnership with a premier esports team. And also as well, it opens up doors for both of us as well. So, you know, we very much, um, Excel and I, 
with our, you know, we've attended industry events together, just working on how they've worked with us, how they've worked with brands um, and venues. And it's it's very much a great strategic partnership. And we love having the guys there. And the, the setup up there is, is quite phenomenal. Like Joanna says, there's a social media room. They've got their own marketing agency. They've got their own content division. They've got their own debriefing room mm-hmm. where they take inspiration from basketball teams because there's the same amount of players on the court. Mm. With the league <laughs> yeah. basketball. They have a team manager, a team physio, nutritionary, and things like that. And I think, like Joanna says, it kind of shows you just how uh, ingrained you need to be in this esports uh, sort of world. But it just shows you just the level of professionalism that yeah. that sport is getting to. Mm-hmm. It's it's really up. And there. they love being in the environment of a governing body of a sport as well. They yeah. pull a lot from us as well. You know, we're very. You can get much more traditional <laughs> yeah. than rugby, and um, you know, and they can pull a lot of inspiration for their players being in somewhere so so inspirational for a, a group of athletes. And um, you aren't as restricted in that you need like a giant pitch or, no. or, or uh, but you, but there are other restrictions, aren't there? There are. Like I'm here tonight representing Twickenham Stadium, but we certainly we don't have a roof on our stadium. We're not hosting bowl events. We are using our conference and events facilities around the stadium. So all of these events, whether it is the smaller conferences, whether it's the tournaments. Like any revenue stream, they need the basics. They need great food, a great Wi-Fi access, which is (laughs) non-negotiable. But more importantly, you need a team at a venue who are really engaged with this Mm -hmm. and they know what is needed. And that's been very agile, very fast moving. And as you say, many venues and many brands are receiving inquiries and feeling a little bit nervous of it. Um, So again, it's really, it depends how far you want to go with it. Like anything, all the events industry, there's lots of different um, revenue streams, associations, uh, B2B, corporate, etc., social. This is another revenue stream, but it does need a little bit more understanding because the esports community, it's a really tight community. They're sharing best practice. They're excited about what they're doing and they want you to be passionate. You don't have to be a gamer. I'm not a gamer, <laughs> but I'm totally immersed and passionate about what they do and excited about the people I've met along this way. I think one of the things that I think that we've spotted with esports is that it seems to suffer from perception from a certain age or a certain demographic mm. that it's boys and teenagers in rooms. It's not. It's actually, there is gaming, which mm-hmm. is bigger than music, uh, television, film altogether. Yeah. And then there's professional gaming, which is esports, which is a professionalized sport in the same way as mm-hmm. rugby at Twickenham, yeah. in the same way as football. And very shortly, we'll be demanding the same sort of revenues. Um, this is an industry that went past the billion pound mark at the end of last year. Wow, okay. It's dr- growing around 27% year mm-hmm. on year. And what I think is really important to the um, the events industry, as someone that represents business um, and works with business, is that 84% of all the money being put into esports is through brands and yeah. brand activations. Yeah. So, so the marketplace is diverse, and I think we'd be hugely naive to be looking at this as just a, a marketplace that's about kids in rooms yeah and and as al said there the brands are reaching vast audiences that they would never reach by doing an advert on the side of a bus or some e-marketing mm. campaigns they are reaching 200 million people a day are playing esports around the world yeah so you only need yeah. one advert on a stream or <laughs> one logo on a top and you've reached more than you would ever imagine it's the fastest growing audience sport in the world and as I'll say 1 billion was the revenue last year that doesn't include what can't be monitored like venues accommodation F&B spends this is just in marketing sponsorship merchandise Um, and that will grow to 1.6 billion this year in revenues so it's the fastest growing audience sport in the world and it's grown at a phenomenal pace and so uh, obviously this is like can be an amazing opportunity mm. if you're ready for it. Yep. Um I've spoken to some venues and I know that there are some that aren't ready for it. <laughs> um for for anyone who's sort of thinking like um uh, like this is a great opportunity this is something I want to support and be involved yeah. in like what sort of steps can you take to make sure that you're ready to handle this kind of event and this kind of audience? I think the one thing is is it's not one size suits all. Mm. Um there are some of them will come across as normal conferences. Yeah. It could be a conference of 200 people. It's just the topic is esports or gaming. Um, yeah. So that will need the same requirements as what all the amazing venues we have um, can already offer. Um, I think when perhaps you're working with teams and tournaments, that will need a little bit more uh, infrastructure behind mm-hmm. it. A 24-hour accessibility is crucial. Yeah, venues can't close down at nine o'clock. Breakfast does not get served between eight and ten. Yeah, um, and you'll learn that fast. So where you can offer a twenty-four hour 
facility, that's crucial. But some of them are B2B, B2C conferences, exhibitions, the same way as, you know, over the last five years, we've had lots of new revenue streams. Um, Cybersecurity was the big Mm, thing a few years ago, AI conferences, um, and they're still ongoing. And they will often need a, a DDR, so to speak, yeah, yeah. you know, or a 24-hour DDR. Esports can also, because they, as I said, um, there's lots of brands on board. So you might find that it could just be a brand product launch, could be uh, talking about revenue streams, investment conferences with blue chip companies that we're all booking all the time. Certainly at Twickenham, we have a huge amount of venue space, all very different, and every esports affiliated event we've had is completely different and has used a different space often so yes there are the streaming opportunities and if you've got that infrastructure without a doubt your infrastructure that has got the 24-hour access amazing streaming opportunities state the art av without a doubt you'll get the team tournament type ones but otherwise those ones who can offer a ddr and great food and access but more than anything it's the team your team in-house understanding what it's about mm. And knowing the terminology, maybe, and just doing a little bit more research. And I've spent about two and a half years doing that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I think hopefully that comes across to anyone within the industry that I speak to. And to talk about the needs of the the audience and the community a little bit, mm. um, just draw a comparison for sort of, you know, 20 years ago, a hack day was unheard of. And when, when mm. they first started coming out, every, and no one knew how to handle it. And, you know, that's a, a very different and difficult audience for, for some venues because, you know, they want to stay up all night working. They want like a very different type of catering yeah. to, to what a lot of the events industry had experienced yeah. beforehand but it's it's huge opportunity and now there's you know they're ginormous tech events and, yeah. and hack days that are organized do you think there are sort of unifying factors or demands that from the community um some of them are your your normal ddr you know some yeah. of them are your normal conference packages mm-hmm. uh where teams are involved though you know this is a, a hugely exciting industry and be exciting creative with it this audience this community they don't see time zones there's yeah. no time zones so you know they it's a 24-hour often. Even if it's not a 24-hour, they're running events, they will not think anything of contacting you because it's a global, often global decision makers. So they don't see any challenges with time zones. They don't see any challenges with rooms that perhaps wasn't built. They'll make it happen. Mm. And that's so refreshing that a booker will come see a suite or will recommend something. And often there's not even a site visit. Yeah. They'll just say, this is what we need. Can you do it? And we'll make it work. And that is so refreshing as a venue. Um, so it's been agile. It's recognising their needs, their food, their dietary, <laughs> lots of lots of international, different time zones um, and different dietary requirements, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just been agile. And yeah. again, they'll take a risk, whereas maybe some of the more stabilised industries won't. Mm-hmm. They will take a risk and they will okay. push it because they want to be the first to have done something different. Yeah. Um, and they do share a lot of practice between each other. I think one of the things that's quite endearing about this industry and something that, that, that we can learn across all of our client, uh, all our verticals that we deal with as an industry is just this sort of blissful naivety that they come in with it, which is yeah. things like um, uh, lack of notice. They don't mm-hmm. have a massive problem with, you know, turning around a conference in, you know, two or three weeks uh, okay. sometimes, yeah. let alone yeah. two or yeah, three months. Um, this instant going through it like you say not doing the the show rounds not going the general conformity but coming out with a blank sheet of paper genuinely blank and i think what that does is that challenges the venues and the suppliers and things that in a slightly different way Mm. but it also gives them a massive opportunity to rise to that challenge Mm. and maybe to learn something about the way they deal with other industries as well to actually sit there and kind of go actually is the way that we've always done thing the way that we should always do things so cliche thing but they're great challengers great disruptors what do you think we can learn from an industry that's that's only sort of twenty years old? Do you think it's a it's a good sort of case study for for dealing with these new new types of events that are going to come out of nowhere? Yeah, like, think, who knows what's next? I think it's exactly that. I mean, I, I I take a professional interest in the esports world because I think it tells us something about our existing industry. Mm. This is a twenty year old industry growing up now. There's industries being created right now mm. as we speak that are going to come in with that same blissful naivety, mm. same uh, oblivion towards um, time yeah. um, and time zones and global movement. And I think what it does is it shows us what not only the next – we talk a lot about what the next generation of delegates going to be thinking – but actually what the gen- what the next generation of event organisers and industries are going to be thinking as well. And I think things like, you know, the, the, the very basics – you know, 24-hour, 12-hour DDRs and things like that, I've got a feeling they're going to be smashed up quite a lot mm. by new industries. Mm. And I think what they'll do is they'll stimulate other industries to think differently as well. So I think it kind of, I think it's a good barometer yeah. on where we are and where we aren't right now. Um, but I think it's a really exciting barometer where we need to be going forward. 
I think there's a couple of things just to add as well. Also, let's not um, put ourselves down. We're the experts. Yeah. So they will come to us as venue experts. Mm -hmm. And as much as we'll get them on site and the event will happen, we should we need to guide some yeah. of the people who haven't run events before, especially more the community type ones. Mm -hmm. Could be the first time. And it's a big risk for them trying to do a community event. And that is where, as a venue specialist, you're saying, okay, I'm going to tell you how things would work in this suite the best for you. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, let's not knock ourselves down. We're an exciting industry, the yeah, events yeah. world. We know what we're doing. We embrace change. We're creative. Um, and they want to hear that as well. So as much as they'll go tick 24-hour access, tick great hardware, great Wi-Fi, security there, brilliant access, load in, load out. Um, when it comes around everything else, the whole running of it, we need to take the lead on that, and that's what they need from you as venue. Then you say, this is how it works. Okay, we can do all that, but this is what else you need to think about. Um, and some of them do have tournament organisers who understand that, and some of them don't, especially the community events, they won't have that. So that's when you do need to take control of a venue and show your expertise. I think there was a, there's an interesting one that I was going to prod Joanna to talk about, which is <laughs> which is the because they're community events and these communities are global and they're huge, mm. Um, mm. you spread quickly. Yeah. Um, and I think when you get it wrong, it's quite scary. But when you get <laughs> it right, it's amazing. And I think it's interesting some of the stuff that Twicken have been doing with their own yeah. social media teams on site just to manage that yeah. Yeah. from their own perception. Sorry, I'm yeah. teeing you up, Joanna. Oh, you are teeing me up nicely there. <laughs> I always get back to your venue team being on board. This isn't a salesperson getting the quote out, booking yeah. it in, and an operator delivering it. At Twickenham, we've had probably a two and a half year, without want to sound corny, journey. <laughs> um, and we get it. Our banking managers get it. Our, our coordinators understand it. They understand the requirements and the needs, especially for some of the very complex, because some of them can be complex. with changing of people checking in, checking out in the middle of the day, different time zones, as you say. Um, so what we very quickly learned with our first one, which was a three-week tournament, 24-7 access, and there were 16 different teams moving around various suites and um, was very much um, the social media. We had to have a marketing team managing. These players are the equivalent of superstar footballers. Yeah. They have millions of followers. And, and so, huge, huge salaries and prize money. Huge salaries, you know. some of them, yeah, a yeah. lot of them, but they have As in just, just in the same way that, that, you know, footballers and rugby 100%. players and basketball players. And so our marketing team during that tournament had to be pretty much 24-7 watching yeah. social media. And that is because it took one player to say his room was too hot and the hotel was terrible. Before 200 million people know about 200 it. million people. <laughs> and all it took was our marketing person seeing there, contacting our on-site hotel, it literally was just showing them how to use the aircon in the room. Yeah. It was the hottest summer that we had a couple <laughs> of years ago. And that's all it took. Yeah. And then, rightly so, you know, great on him. He did tweet and say, silly me, you know, great hotel, thanks so-and-so for helping. But that could have been a catastrophic for us. That would have reached millions. Yeah. Um, and the same way as our suite, you know, they'd take photos of their food like most people do. And mm. it would take one comment of them saying, you know, the food's not great at Twicken or anything like that. But we just had to monitor the follow these these players and yeah. their tweets and their social activity just to be on it and again that is what many venues might get a little bit nervous of if you've got these players in with that audience and that reach it's just how much you want to do and again all the positive social posts we got as well is brilliant we're reaching a different audience what e-sporting event that you were involved in were you most excited about at the time I think the first one was the most exciting and nerve-wracking, which because we hadn't done one before. It, it'd been a long planning, which is very unusual now we know, but it'd been a good five, six months in planning, very complex. It was a three-week tournament. It's the first time as Twickenham Stadium, obviously we have a lot of brands there with Home of England Rugby, we have the Rugby Football Union. We ha really had to make sure they were okay with everything we were doing. First time we'd opened up our conference suites 24-7 and had a roster of duty managers 24-7 so we put our team under pressure so it was the most exciting because it had never ever been done there mm. um, and also the mo most nerve-wracking and they then came back three months later it was two blocks of three months and by the time that all went great but by the time the second three week came it was slick as anything because we knew <laughs> yeah. we'd learned so much and the team were excited as well some of the team were, uh, we've got great longevity with some of the team at Twickenham and they'd never seen anything like it so it just opened up the a brand new opportunity for us. And as a sales team, it wasn't just a, a conference I'd been in for a few weeks in great occupancy. Suddenly as a sales team, we started saying, wow, these are great people we're meeting. And the amount of people we reached and just it totally got us engaged with the community and really said, actually, let's just have a look at this. As much as we do all the other revenue streams, the association market, the corporate market, um, 
there's something in this, but it's not just a quick win. It's not quick revenue. Mm. This is just exciting, something new to learn. Um, and the team were excited about it as well. So I think our first ever one, I think we learned a lot from that. And, and Al, from a PR perspective? I mean, I, I, you know, as someone that looks at industry trends and where this market is affecting us, I was really interested by, um, actually Twickenham hosted the, the summer party for Twitch. Yeah. And what it said to me was that there is a long um, stream of events that follow esports around. And if you're in that market and you're with it, then they will see you as a partner to them. And what it was, seeing those, you know, the big marquee events, the competitions, seeing some of the big brand activations all come into Twickenham was great. But then we the, there was the the summer party, mm-hmm. uh, the, the little conference, the yeah. meetups that I feel are very, very, um, you know, part of this industry's future. And seeing them arrive with their brands and their ambitions and their craziness that they do was a real sign that actually, hang on, um, there is a big market here and it's not just about bowls and trophies, yeah. it's about business events that was really exciting Johanna Al it's been an absolute pleasure having you come on um, thank you so much for coming in thank and I so hope much. we get to have you back at some point as well yes do come to Twickenham thank you Joe. and that's our show this week I hope your thirst for events industry content has been quenched for now the event lab series is back with the first event for 2020 taking place on the 3rd of March at Atmosphere Venues this event is all about collaboration in events projects, exploring the ways events planners and venues work together. There'll also be plenty of time to mingle over a drink. This is expected to be a packed out event, but if you're still interested, you can register at eventlab.online forward slash attend. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher or the podcasting app of your choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at Thanks very much for listening.